I'd like to thank my patrons over on Patreon for supporting this and every episode of this podcast. Patrons of this show get access to exclusive content on the Patreon page, bonus hotshot episodes, monthly live Q&A sessions with me, Just Grow Something merchandise, and more. But above all, they get my undying gratitude for helping make this podcast possible and helping me reach for bigger goals like stipends for guests, improved software and equipment, bonus content, and more. If you'd like to support the show by becoming a patron and also receive my undying gratitude, head over to patreon.com slash just grow something or use the link in the show notes. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This Garden Talk Tuesday, we're going to talk about another great fall crop, spinach. Spinach is another one that's fairly easy to grow and only slightly fussy about its growing conditions. I mean, it's no diva like carrots, but it can be still a little finicky when it comes to temperatures and water. So it really is best grown in the cooler shoulder seasons of the spring and the fall. And what makes it a great fall crop is that it can not only stand up to a heavy frost, you can overwinter it with row covers and harvest off of the mature plants all season long. Then in the spring, it will pick back up and begin growing again for a very early spring harvest before you've even finished planting your spring crops. So let's dig in to growing spinach. We'll start with the basics as usual. The scientific name for spinach is Spinacea oleraceae. It is in the Amaranthiaceae family in the subfamily of Chenopodiodiae. Okay, yeah, say it again, Chenopodiodiae. It's fun, right? So this subfamily is actually often referred to as the family Chenopodiaceae or the goosefit family or the chenopods. Um, but it now actually falls under that whole sub, that whole original family of Chenopodiaceae now has been pushed under the family of Amaranthiaceae and it is now its own subfamily. Unfortunately, scientific classifications change all the time, especially when plants are studied more in depth and what used to look like differences that would warrant a whole separate family actually doesn't. So there's a little bit of confusion there sometimes, but this change actually happened probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. In any case, spinach is part of the amaranths and the subfamily of Chenopodiodiae. It's just fun to say. And that family includes other chenopods like beets and shard, along with lamb's quarter and quinoa and ornamental plants like amaranthus and celosia. Plus, of course, weeds like redroot pigweed, which are known to cause pollen allergies. Ask me how I know. So spinach is thought to have originated over 2,000 years ago in ancient Persia, eventually being introduced to India and China as the Persian vegetable. 
The earliest written evidence of spinach was in the 10th century in a medical book and in some agricultural texts. And then from there, it moved on to the Mediterranean and Spain and became very popular in England and France sometime in the 14th century because it was a leafy green that could tolerate the cold when other local veggies couldn't. In this instance, it was often referred to as spinach or spinoches. So the cultural significance and ethnobotanical uses. Remember, ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. Please don't ever ingest the parts of any plant without being absolutely positive of its effect upon the human body. That being said, there's not really any part of the spinach plant that's not edible, but it's the leaves that are the powerhouse. In fact, during World War I, wine fortified with spinach juice was given to injured French soldiers to help limit their bleeding. Now, this is due to the large amounts of vitamin K found in spinach, which helps with blood clotting, which is also why people on blood thinners need to pay attention to how much spinach they eat. Spinach is also known to reduce blood sugar, so people on diabetes medications should be sure to monitor their blood sugar closely if they eat a lot of spinach. Other traditional uses for spinach include uh, being used to treat stomach and intestinal complaints and fatigue. It's used as an appetite stimulant. It's been used to prevent diabetes as an anti-inflammatory for cataracts and macular degeneration, uh, kidney or bladder disease as a diuretic, and to soothe burns by soaking the leaves in hot oil, which is then cooled and then placed on the burn. And then finally, we get to the cartoon character, Popeye the Sailor Man. Since about 1931, he's been portrayed as having quite the affinity for spinach, particularly the canned variety, which, okay, ew, no accounting for taste there. His change in physical strength after eating spinach is usually attributed to the iron content of spinach, but in a 1932 comic strip, Popeye says, quote, spinach is full of vitamin A and that's what makes humans strong and healthy. I don't know what kind of accent that is, but that's a direct quote from Popeye himself, folks. And in actuality, Popeye was onto something. Spinach is a nutritional powerhouse. It is renowned for its high iron content, very high in vitamins, minerals, and other phytonutrients. It's an excellent source of vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin K, vitamin C, potassium, magnesium, folate, manganese, calcium, vitamin B6, and more. It's also a very good source of dietary fiber and omega-3 fatty acids. So a 100-gram serving of raw spinach has only 23 calories with 4 grams of carbs, 3 grams of protein, and almost no fat, but has at least 13 different flavonoid compounds that are good antioxidants. Now, these nutrients are most available when the spinach is fresh, but lightly steamed is good too. So when preserving, quickly freezing is the best way to preserve those nutrients. Canned is the least nutritious way to go. Sorry, Popeye. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
So let's talk about the cultivation of spinach. In 2018, world production of spinach was 26.3 million metric tons, with China accounting for 90% of that. Now, here's why you would want to grow your own spinach. Fresh spinach is sold loose, bunched, or packaged fresh in bags. Fresh spinach loses much of its nutritional value with storage of more than a few days. So the further the spinach has traveled from where it was grown, the less nutritious it is. While refrigeration slows this effect to about eight days or so, fresh spinach loses most of its folate and carotenoid content over that same period of time. So growing it yourself is the most nutritious way to get your spinach. The second most nutritious would be directly from your farmer at the farmer's market. So store it in the fridge, eat it within a few days, or freeze it to use it later to keep those nutrients intact. Another method is to dehydrate the spinach. Drying spinach at a temperature lower than 129 degrees Fahrenheit helps keep the nutrients intact. Once it's dry, you can crumble it or crush it into a powder and add it to smoothies or soups for a nutritional punch. I've done this with a mixture of spinach, beet greens, kale, and carrot tops. It's super handy as a winter greens boost and super nutritionally dense. So how do we grow spinach? First off, it's a cool season crop. Spinach seeds have a difficult time germinating in soil temperatures over 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Remember that I said it was a bit finicky? This is where that comes in. In the spring, you can plant really as early as whenever you can work the soil, as early as six weeks before your last expected frost. And the seeds will just sort of sit there and they'll sprout as the temperatures warm up. Now, spinach will sprout in soil temperatures as low as 40 degrees Fahrenheit, but it will take a little bit longer, maybe as long as a month. 60 degrees Fahrenheit seems to be that sweet spot where you'll get about 90% germination in about 7 to 10 days. Now, at 70 Fahrenheit, it may only take 5 days to sprout, but the number of seeds that actually germinate will be much lower, maybe as low as 30% when you get to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. And if the soil is over 85 Fahrenheit, forget it. This is especially important to remember when planting spinach as a fall crop. I can tell you from firsthand experience that if you plant your spinach in the hottest part of the summer for a fall crop, it won't sprout. Just ask my empty spinach bed out there. <laughs> I actually seeded my fall spinach earlier than usual this year because I gambled that the temperatures, which had been very unseasonably cool, were going to stay that way. I was wrong. So if they don't sprout, I'll be reseeding on my normal schedule here in a few weeks. So a good tip for getting spinach to sprout with good germination is to soak the seeds in room temperature water overnight about a week or so before you plan on planting. Allow the seeds to dry for a day or so and then store them in the refrigerator in a sealed container for about five days. This is called priming the seed and it will decrease the germination time and increase the germination rate because the seeds will have soaked up enough water to start the sprouting process internally. Plant them after the five days, but don't wait any longer than a week and you should see them popping up out of the soil in no time. Now, if you're planting in the fall, 
You can start seeds in trays indoors in a cooler area and then transplant them outside. I've never had really good success with this, and it just seems that, just like other members of the Goosefit family, spinach doesn't really like to have its roots disturbed. So if you're going to start them indoors to get a jump on the fall planting, make sure that you're starting them in cells that are large enough to be able to remove them and get them in the ground with as little jostling as possible, which also means making sure they aren't root bound when you put them in. Moving them out there when there are at least two true leaves on the plant is key. So when spinach first sprouts, it looks like blades of grass. So it'll be easy to tell when the true leaves come in and it's time to transplant. Otherwise, just wait until your soil temperatures have dropped to 70 Fahrenheit or below to plant for the fall. Now, spinach does best in full sun, but it can handle some partial shade if needed. And in most instances, if your area gets very hot in the spring early on, it would appreciate some afternoon shade. And like most veggies, it does best when you've got a soil with lots of organic matter. Spinach loves compost. It also likes a pH range of around 6.5 to 7.0, like most common garden crops. If you're going for baby spinach, this is a good crop for succession planting. Plan to plant about every 10 days to two weeks, and you'll have loads of baby spinach to keep harvesting from until the temperatures get too hot in the summer and it starts to bolt. It will come back up again after a harvest, so I usually do three or four succession plantings in the spring to keep us in spinach. This year, the weeds got out of control with all the rain, so we had a very small harvest, but our fall crop should be really good. Now, if you plan for full-sized spinach, you can plant just one crop and continuously harvest the largest leaves from the plants while the new ones continue to grow in from the center. Now, whether you want baby spinach or full-sized leaves will determine your plant spacing. This may vary by variety, so look on the seed packet for specific instructions. But in general, you'll plant a little more densely for baby spinach and a little further apart for full-sized. Or you can plant it all pretty close together, harvest plants as baby spinach, while you thin down to allow more space for full-sized plants. In the end, the general guidance for baby leaf is to sow three to five seeds per inch in rows about two inches apart. Now for full-sized leaves, you're gonna sow 10 seeds per foot in rows about 12 to 18 inches apart. Big difference there. But in both cases, the seeds should be planted about a half an inch deep in the soil. Generally speaking, baby spinach will be ready to harvest in just about three to five weeks, depending on the time of the year. And of course, the full-sized leaves are gonna take a little longer. Now, there are three different types of spinach. You have savoy, semi-savoyed, and smooth-leafed. Now, savoy and semi-savoyed have wavy or puckered leaves. These are usually grown for full-sized, although we harvest them at all stages, and they are the best types for growing in very cold weather. Although, the classic Bloomsdale long-standing variety is pretty renowned for its ability to handle the heat, hence the name. Now, the smooth-leafed or flat-leaf spinach is the kind that you often see in salads or in bags of baby spinach at the grocery. 
They too can be harvested at any stage, but I prefer these just for baby leaf. For us, they tend to turn a bit yellow when they get big, like they just can't get the nutrients moving through the leaf at that stage of growth. But your experience may differ, so don't hesitate to try. There are a ton of different varieties of both type or all three types um, out there to choose from. And speaking of nutrients, spinach isn't super demanding if you have good soil organic matter. If, however, your soil is a bit lacking, adding a good nitrogen-based amendment when you plant will give it a great boost. We like blood meal or feather meal for this. Blood meal releases a little more quickly, so for a short season crop like baby spinach, it can be ideal. Otherwise, just use a good amount of compost when you're prepping the bed, and the spinach should be just fine. Now, what about growing spinach in containers? Spinach is an ideal candidate for raised beds, pots, windowsills, or any other container. Just be sure you're following the proper spacing guidelines so you have good air circulating among the plants. Downy mildew can become a problem with too much moisture, and trapped moisture at the base of the plants can also attract slugs, so be careful there. Otherwise, just keep it well watered. Spinach can be a little bit thirsty, and it demands a little bit more water than other crops, and since containers can dry out more quickly, you may need to water more frequently. Spinach likes about an inch and a half of water a week. Just water under the foliage at the soil level to keep plant diseases from creeping up on those leaves. And this is a good tip for the in-ground garden too. Spinach really appreciates consistent watering and mulch is your friend here. Not only will it help retain the moisture, but using a lighter organic mulch like chopped leaves or hay or straw will keep the soil cool too. Two to three inches of mulch is ideal here because spinach may bolt prematurely if it stays too dry. You've heard me talk about First Saturday Lime, the environmentally friendly alternative to pesticides that we use on our farm. We use it everywhere, in the gardens, in the chicken coops, in the pig pastures, and around the outside of our home. First Saturday Lime created a non-caustic formula that is tough on bugs, but totally safe for humans and pets. And now, as a listener of the Just Grow Something podcast, First Saturday Lime can be your favorite natural pest control, too. You can save 20% off your first order by using the code JUSTGROW at checkout at firstsaturdaylime.com. It's a super strong formula derived from eco-friendly products, and it's so effective, I have a 20-pound bag delivered every month to use on the first Saturday. Go to firstsaturdaylime.com and use code JUSTGROW for 20% off your first order. So let's talk about pests. What insect pests do we get with spinach? Basically, anything that goes after beets or shard are going to go after spinach, too. Mainly, you're looking at slugs, flea beetles, leaf miners, aphids are pretty common, and you may see cutworms or wireworms. Now, for the worms, you can use Bt, or Bacillus thuringiensis. Bt is a naturally occurring bacterium. It's common in soils in some locations, and it's now being cultivated as a natural pest control. It causes disease in certain insects, most notably leaf and needle feeding caterpillars like cutworms and wireworms. So these bacterium are also a good defense for tomato hornworms, earworms, and cabbage loopers. You can find it in your garden center or online. Just be sure to use it properly and follow the instructions because timing is critical. Now, the good news with BT is that it's 
harmless when eaten by beneficial insects since it only causes diseases in very specific pests. The bad news is it's slow acting and it, the timing, like I said, is critical because the offending insect needs to actually ingest the bacterium for it to work. So don't use it as your first line of defense, but it's good to have in the arsenal. You can also use carrots as a trap crop for the wireworms if they're really bad where you are. Now, we haven't tried this because it hasn't been a problem here, but to do this, you actually put full-sized carrots into the ground in and around the spinach about every three feet or so, and then the wireworms go after those full-sized carrots. And once those the wireworms are trapped in the carrots, you pull the carrots up after a few days, remove the wireworms to be destroyed elsewhere, and then put the carrots back in the ground. It's kind of a nifty way to do it. Like I said, I haven't tried it, but I've seen people who have had very good success with this. Now for the flea beetles, the slugs, and the snails, we use first Saturday lime. You could use diatomaceous earth. Um, in any, any case, a good dusting every so often keeps them at bay pretty well. The good news is uh, first Saturday lime is water insoluble, so even after some rain, it's still pretty effective. Now, if you've got a bad problem with leaf miners, you should clip off the infested leaves to keep the larvae from getting to maturity, which breaks the life cycle. You'll know you have them because they leave these trails on the leaves where they've mined the plant sap. And since they're feeding on the inside of the leaves and not the outside, there really aren't any contact remedies for this. But you can plant radishes right alongside the spinach, and the leaf miners will be more attracted to the radish leaves than to the spinach. And the damage to the radish leaves doesn't necessarily affect the growth of the radish. Now, for aphids, um, the ladybugs and the other predatory insects usually do their job in our gardens to keep the aphids at bay. But neem oil can help you if you've got an infestation of aphids that's actually hurting the plants. In most instances, though, they're just an annoyance, and you can spray them off with the hose to get rid of them. Now, what about diseases? Thankfully, spinach diseases are pretty few and far between. Like I mentioned earlier when we talked about planting in containers, downy mildew can be a problem if you're in a very wet season, a humid climate, or you don't leave enough space between the plants. Now, we control this with First Saturday Lime, too, because it not only dries out the leaf surface, but it changes the pH of the leaf, making it a bit less hospitable of an environment. Another one to look for very early on with spinach is damping off disease. Now, this is caused by a fungus, and it's usually more prevalent when planting seedlings indoors and they're kept too wet, but this can happen in the garden, too. The seedlings basically just fall over and die right after they sprout, and they look like they rot right at the ground level and just sort of snap off. This can be caused by overwatering, but using compost that's too hot right away in the garden can also cause damping off, so be sure that your compost is properly aged. Um, other fungal diseases include anthracnose, white rust, and downy mildew. And again, these are all favored by moist soil and cool temperatures. So if you have problems with fungal diseases in many of your crops, you may want to use a copper fungicide. But in most instances, if you're mulching and it's not a particularly wet year, these diseases are short-lived. In the rare instance, spinach can also get mosaic virus. And if you've ever had mosaic virus in any of your other crops before, it's important to remove 
all the infected plants and destroy them because there is no cure for mosaic once your plants have them. Prevention is key. So do not compost infected plants. They need to be burned or put in the garbage. Make sure you disinfect your garden tools to prevent the virus transmission to other plants. Mosaic virus and spinach will cause the leaves to be damaged and discolored. So prevention really is the key here. So when should you harvest your spinach? This depends on whether you want baby leaf or full-sized. You can harvest spinach whenever you want at whatever size. Spinach is a great cut-and-come-again plant, so new leaves will re-sprout to replace the ones that you cut. You can either pick the individual leaves as soon as they're big enough, or you can cut the entire plant about an inch above the soil line. Either way, cutting encourages new growth, and another crop of leaves will come up again to replace the ones that you've harvested. So for baby leaf, we cut the whole plant. It's just easier that way. But for full-sized, we harvest the biggest outer leaves and allow the smaller ones in the center to continue growing to size. Now, when spinach begins to bolt in warm weather, it will start to taste bitter, and that's when it's time to remove the plant. Spinach bolts sort of similarly to lettuce. If you've ever seen a lettuce plant bolt, it starts to get really tall and spindly. Spinach will do the same thing, and it has these thick stalks when they start to want to flower. The shape of the leaves on these stalks will also start to change. So you'll be able to tell the difference between the two, and that's your key that, okay, this plant is getting ready to bolt. Bolting usually starts as soon as the daylight hours are longer than 14 hours a day and the temperatures get above 75 degrees pretty consistently. So because it bolts during the lengthening days of the spring, this makes spinach an especially popular crop for fall because that's when the days are getting shorter and cooler. And like I mentioned, the plants are very cold hardy, tolerating temperatures as cold as the teens to the early 20s Fahrenheit once they're well established. So for the fall garden, don't be afraid to plant a later crop that you plan to winter over. Um, we do this as a sort of succession planting in the fall. We will plant one crop that we intend to harvest all during the fall and not allow to get too big, but then we plant a succession planting that will get to full size before we hit the Persephone period. So remember, the Persephone period is the time of year when daylight hours drop below 10 hours a day and plant growth slows to a crawl. So as long as the plants are full-sized, by the time you hit that period, you'll have spinach to harvest off of for most of the winter. Now, if you're in a colder area of the country, like zone six or colder, you'll likely need row covers to protect the leaves from damage during the really severe winter weather. Or you can build a cold frame for even more protection in particularly frigid areas and then add row cover beneath that for a double duty effect. Either way, in the spring, when the daylight hours begin to lengthen again, those plants will begin to grow again for a spring crop that you didn't need to do anything for. I hope this episode encourages you to plant some spinach for your fall garden or to give it a go in the spring or both. It's a hardy, fairly easy to grow plant that's great for beginners. It's great for container gardens, succession planting, interplanting, you name it. 
Thanks for joining me today. And I'll see you back here again on Friday for our August Can You Dig It episode with listener questions, fun gardening articles, food facts, and more. In the meantime, have a great week in the garden, and I will talk to you again soon. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel anytime. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your Coffee Club subscription.